All right, I know I just spoke to you two about this before we started. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about it, I've ranted about it on stream, but I don't know if I've... Have I mentioned the landlord that discriminated against me for being too employed to rent from him? Oh, for being for being too employed, having too much of an income. Wait, what? A <laughs> landlord was a problem? A landlord had weird bullshit that they, they're, they're bullshitty about. Whew, I did not see this coming. So yeah, you're too employable, too employed, too much of a person with a career that makes money. Yeah, so basically, it's it's sort of brilliant, but I found this place that looks perfect, right? It's a cottage. I've always always had a dream of retiring. I mean, no, we all have a dream of retiring. Well, yeah, (laughs) but I've always had this dream of of retiring and then living in a, a little village in a little cottage, and I found a little village in a little cottage. And I'm not even mostly retired yet. So I was well ahead of the game. Um, Absolutely perfect. Clearly, like, an old had lived in there before and had died because they still had the stair lift. And the landlord had said they were hoping to still keep the stair lift. And I'm like, mate, my knees are fucked. This is perfect. The whole place was, it was a gorgeous place. The bedroom had a stained glass porthole. Plus, it was super cheap. Anyway... Uh, I applied. I said, you know what? Because the rent was cheap enough. I'm like, I could give you a year's rent now. And they are basically just not planning to give it to me because the landlord lives on the same street and wants someone who will, and I quote, fit in. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder what that could mean. Right? Now, the reason given is he's of retirement age and wants more people like him looking for a retired person to live there. None of them told me this. The landlord himself said he was washing his hands of the application process and was going to let the letting agent deal with all of it because it's what he pays them for. Didn't even have the fucking nerve. Even though the more I look back on when he showed me around, the more I realised the moment he clapped eyes on me, he was never going to give me a shot. I can't understand someone for whom it's not enough to just get paid for a property that like is made, putting money in his pocket and like for for no cost for him. Well, but what if that wild person damages the property? Like they're so unpredictable. The Lord knows what these crazed leftists will do next. I don't understand it being like, oh yeah, free money for nothing. But no, that's not enough. I want to curate the neighborhood too. I mean, it's not even that. It's more than that. Like. He wasn't just getting free money for nothing. He was going to get it as a lump sum above the odds because, like, I've been eight months without a fucking home. This was perfect, and the rent was fucking cheap for what it was. So I was like, you know what? To sweeten the pot, I might, you know, I'm just going to fucking, like, still offer nowhere near what, like, anyone should be charging for the place or would be. But I'm like, you know what? I'll go above the odds because I want to guarantee getting this place because it's near to fee. It's perfect. It's what I've been looking for. And then I get a, a message from the letting agent after we applied saying, just to let you know, you're not what he's looking for as a human being. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, mate. Like, this is, I've spoken on the podcast before about the one landlord who wouldn't give me a place because he didn't like my job. Like, I know you've said that you don't understand what he's doing, but in my interactions in the past half a year, landlords right now, especially in this area where, like, everything's been gentrified, they're on a fucking power trip. They want to not just get money for nothing, they are trying to control the 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 very streets that they're renting out on they want to control who who has a home and who doesn't and and who like they, the landlord lives on the same road like he just 
I don't think they'd have given me this warning about what they're looking for if I was everything I am right now. Yeah. 40 years old, almost 40 years old, gainfully and very well employed with my own business, with excellent references, no history of being a problem neighbour, pays my rent on time, never had complaints, and I was cis. If I was a, a near 40-year-old, gainfully employed, well-referenced cis woman, I don't think the letting agent would have been basically telling me they plan to discriminate against me. As someone who has lived in the UK for many years, yeah. 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 As terrible as it sounds, there's that bit of my in the back of my head that's like, I mean, it would sure make things tricky for them if you were to send, let's, let's say you send boringly dressed person in a suit and tie that looks very bland and normal to go do the viewings, get them to say yes to the place and then you show up on the day and they're like, you're not the person who did the viewing. You're like, yes, yes, I am. What, what, are you going to say there's a problem with me now? Like, need a fucking surrogate to go in and do the viewings for you. But Oh, well, I mean, we, you know, there, used, there were sting operations of a similar sort done, you know, here in the United States for all sorts of civil rights. Oh, I am aware that's a thing and shouldn't have to be, but... No, it shouldn't. And the thing is, even if they thought that saying he's looking for someone of retirement age would would dress up the discrimination... No, it's still discrimination. Yeah. No, it's literally a breach of the Equality Act in this country. Yeah, yeah. It's not legal. And I just loved that their answer to that when, when we got back to them and said, like, you're discriminating based on age. They said, we're not discriminating. We just want someone who will fit in with the community there. <laughs> and, Mate, you can't say fit in. Yeah. But we've got that in writing. It's in writing. And did you send them a dic dictionary definition of discrimination in response? Because that would have been my impulse. Well, we've been waiting to get a definite no from them, but I think they're just not going to have the guts to, to get back to us anymore. So I now want to ask them for an update. And then when they inevitably say no, because like I said, I think that landlord took one look at who I am and s said no the moment he saw right. that a trans person turned up. I'm just going to outright fucking say it. Yeah. Especially because, like, the more I think about how he was with me, the more I realise he was not ever planning to let someone like me have the place. Not Especially when I found out he lives opposite the house. Like, even the reason they gave is weird. Like, what? You're a fucking landlord. You're not supposed to be using it for a social life. Yeah. You're no one's friend. You're not... You're exploiting someone's need for a home, for a roof over their head. You're kidding yourself if you think that you're in it to make friends. Well, and, and, and really pretty fucking insulting to also think that the people that you are exploiting for housing want to be your friends. Yeah. Yeah. As someone that had a very stable job for many years and then about two weeks after coming out, suspiciously that job ended and it definitely wasn't connected. Mm-hmm. Bigotry exists, it sure is a thing. Absolutely. It's, I mean, and, and like, good luck to him, I guess, if he wants someone who's retired and renting. Like, I know we're going to see a lot more of that with, with certainly with my generation. Well, mm -hmm. people don't get to retire anymore. Um, but if you're retired and renting, especially in this country, especially with the fucking cost of living crisis, I hate the cost, I hate calling it the cost of living crisis, because crisis suggests that it's a, like some phenomenon that no one could do anything about. It was a cost of living decision made by the Tories and the fucking energy companies. It also suggests that there is any sense of urgency being felt by the fucking uh, country about it. Like, it suggests that anyone 
feels like they need to do anything about it. Yeah, it's the cost of corporate greed, not the cost of living. But anyway, with that going on, like, you know, I, I've i got longer to live, therefore longer to pay the rent. Yeah. I'm a business owner. Like, I, I just, it makes no sense unless you are, as, like, just deeply prejudiced. It's the only way that makes sense that you're going to turn down a guaranteed year's worth of rent up front from someone who can pay for longer. So anyway, uh, landlords are filth. Landlords are filth. Landlords are pure fucking scum. I am so sick to fucking death of dealing with the housing market, trying to just find a place. Here's a fun reminder. I've lived in the place I currently live for five years. I still don't have a working light in the living room. Our living room doesn't have a light that works five years in. Because landlords. Landlords are filth. They are pure filth. We'll take we'll take your money every month. We'll complain to fuck if you don't give us your money. But, you know, fixing things so you can actually have light in the main room you live in. <laughs> On a live stream last week, a good, quote unquote, good landlord turned up in the chat. <laughs> To talk about how, well, I think I do right by my tenants. I think that, you know, we, we're trying to be good landlords and I just had to sit down and say, like, you know, it's like the good cop thing. Like, your very existence is predicated on exploiting a basic human need for shelter and you're profiting from that. You can't be good. You can be as ethical as you uh, as possible within that system, but when your very existence is unethical, you can only go so far with it. The closest I would consider to any kind of ethical way to do it would be, hey, are you charging exactly the price of the mortgage and not a penny above? And once the person has rented that long enough to pay off the mortgage, they own it, not you anymore. They're buying it without an upfront cost. Like, yeah, unless you're fucking doing that, you are profiting off of someone else's need to live. Yeah. And I would like to state for the record that my landlord, as landlords go, is actually excellent and attentive anytime I have a problem. But oh my god, am I lucky. Because he is a guy who owns a business, you know, that the building is in, or that is in the building, you know, and he cares about the business, so he cares about the property above it. But that's it. Like, if I didn't have that, God knows. I'll say this, that's not even a guarantee of anything. Oh, God, no. that, um, I live in a place that is physically connected to somewhere else that my landlord owns. If there is a problem that might damage the other property, you know, there's wa- something to do with water, they'll be on it in a fucking flash. Right. The second it's anything that only impacts me and not the other building that is connected, they don't give a shit. Yeah. Because they only care if it's going to impact their money. I, it also probably helps that my landlord's a recovering addict. It probably helps. Probably helps. Yeah. Ah. Uh. But yeah, the difficulty I've had trying to find a... Like, it's been almost eight months since I moved back to the UK, and technically I've been homeless. Like, I'm lucky enough that I've been staying with, with Fee and the family here, like, for those eight months. So incredibly lucky, but I haven't seen my stuff in eight months. I haven't had the environment I need to work properly in eight months. Yeah. Um, My sense of space. And I'm someone who, like... I've got a lot of like 
trauma stuff related to being uh, in an environment I can't control. Yeah. And it's fl- it's been flipped big time by this. As someone who needs a space of my own with a door I can shut and it's just me in there and that is my space, I understand. Yep. And just the levels of weird discrimination I've run into. Um, some of it racist. Like, I'm not saying people are being racist against me because, you know, I'm a white British person. Like, I can't make that claim. But the institutional racism is so racist that it's it's it catches someone like me in the net just to be safer than sorry if it comes to renting a house to a foreigner like they're that fucking racist it's xenophobia it's it's we don't like that you're foreign regardless of race we don't like the fact that you're from another place so the thing is it's like even though i am i'm a british american but because my I've been earning income in the US for the past, like, over a decade. The amount of places I have applied to that won't give me the place because they keep telling me I've got no proof of income because it's not British, because the proof isn't British. This, well, this is all, like, you know, the, the cause of Brexit. Like, this is how that shit happened, right? Is, you know, just that general utter distrust of any form. Oh, no. No, this country's been deeply racist yeah. long before then. Um, Brexit's made a lot of things harder. I mean, yeah. you know, we we run the gymporium.com. We run international merch shipping. Mm-hmm. You've seen how much harder it's gotten yes. to ship things thanks to fucking Brexit. Um, I get... I, I buy, like, some... I still buy some clothes from US places, right? Because mm-hmm. like things like Torrid and that are pricey, but they do stuff I really like in like big girl sizes. And the amount, like, I have to sometimes pay now the cost equal to what I've bought in customs charges to get it. Jesus Christ! It's wild. And yeah, the the just the level of institutional xenophobia is that bad here. Um, and you know. I'm lucky enough that if I do find a place I really want, if I truly wanted to and it wasn't exorbitant, I might be able to like get a guarantor or like I don't know anyone who, you know, who could be a guarantor for a lot of places, uh, given how the rent's going up. And I could possibly, if I found the right place, pay, you know, rent up front. It would fucking hurt, but I could probably get away with it. Um, for some places, depending. So I've got a, I've at least got a chance to find a place. But if I didn't have those, it would literally be a case of you're too foreign to have a home in the UK. Yeah. Even if you can afford it. Yeah. And that is fucking shocking. That is fucking shocking. And then on top of that is, like I say, just the weird prejudice I've been getting. Fucking, yeah. I don't like your job. That that was one of them. Your employment is not what I'm looking for. Mate, you're looking for a cunt who will give you money to live in your fucking house. What, mate, what's the matter? I am just stunned. Yeah, the idea that the landlord should in any way have that kind of dictation over the lives of the people who live in their rented space is so fucking obscene. Yeah. Ugh. Welcome to Punkquisition, by the way. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The video game show, we sometimes talk about them. Some of them exist here. Anyone played one (laughs) this week? Uh, well, I mean, I I played Stray. I finished Stray. How how are you feeling about Stray now you finished it? I really, really liked that game. Yep. It is uh, emotionally affecting. 
I, I, I totally get the criticisms that it's a lot of fetch questy. Like, there's not enough necessarily mission or quest variety. Although I, I think that the approach to puzzle solving in all of it is very good, and I enjoy that. Yeah, and I don't mind fetch quests so much when a it's such a beautiful environment to be wandering around to fetch, and b you're you're a cat. What the fuck else are you gonna be doing? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So it, that all worked fine for me. Um, I'm glad that, uh, I, I, you know, I'm just going to, just spoiler, the cat doesn't die. Yes. Okay? The cat doesn't die. I, I finished it off this morning, and I'm glad that when people said it was an emotional game, it wasn't, we made you play as a nice character, and then we killed that nice character, don't you feel sad about it? Yeah. Oh yeah, I beat it as well since then, because last it was last week, wasn't it, we were talking about the cat dying, um, which we thought might happen. I'm glad they were more creative about their choice of how to make it have meaning and emotion. Yeah. I didn't do a cry or anything, but it was sad, uh, the ending, as many people have said. It was a sweet ending. I think. Yeah. Um, and it was a sweet game overall. It was very sweet, very adorable. I, did, I didn't cry out the Linda bald. And she was affected by it for a couple Aww. of days. I, I cried pretty bad about it today. <laughs> and the thing about it is that is, I, I think the most emotionally affecting is not the event mm. that is specifically supposed to trigger the emotion, but your interaction following the event. Yeah. Oh my god, the... Oh, again, trying to avoid spoilers, but when exactly. the little cat did a little sleepy. Yes. Uh, and I'm not, yeah. I'm not, in, I, that wasn't me doing a cutesy metaphor for it dying. No. <laughs> but like we said, they were cleverer than that. Um, but when the little cat kitty is asleep, like that did make me just go, oh. What I think it does really well is it, it ends on a, mo a, a note of emotional catharsis. It lets you just stop and breathe for a second right mm -hmm. at the end. And I think that that release of, tension almost is very effective i also i really do appreciate how it establishes possibility for a sequel i never thought this is a game i would want a sequel for when i when i was playing it but like i wouldn't hate that i wouldn't hate that it's left enough things unresolved there's enough world out there yeah. that could be explored further um, that could be very interesting. Like, I don't know if I would want to play this same cat again, but I could definitely spend more time in this world. Yeah. And there'd be reason for me to want to keep exploring. I think there are many games where you're like, the story is conclusively wrapped up. Um, I've learned all that I need to learn about this world to keep some mystery and, and be satisfied with the story. But yeah, I do think they have enough, a rich enough universe, because there's a lot of a bigger world that they only hint at. Mm -hmm. uh, especially when you get to like where the cop robots are and stuff, where it's mm -hmm. like, there's a lot, they intimate a lot about how this society operates. And I'd very much like to see more of it in some other con, doesn't necessarily have to be a game about a cat, but I would like to see more of that universe. And again, I think having you play as a cat did a really good job of you are on the periphery of a lot of the interesting lore of this world because no one's going to stop and explain this in detail to a literal cat. And it gives space for, if you were to play that from a role that was a bit more involved, it wouldn't feel unnatural for there to suddenly be more that you're learning. Yeah. 
and it's one of those things where it's like there was enough with some of the other characters. Like, um, you know, the the fugitive. Clementine. Yeah, Clementine. Like, that's unresolved. Yep. And it's it's unresolved in a way where I'm like, okay, I'd be fine if that was left as a mystery and, and we can, you know, it's up to our imagination what happened. But because... I don't think anything was presented in sacred enough fashion that I also think it would ruin it if I knew what would happen. Yeah. If I got a game where you got to play as her or or got to just see more more of her story, I'd be perfectly fine with that. Yeah. Perfectly happy with that. I'd go, oh, cool. It's not one of those narratives where if you gave me more, I feel like the lack of mystery would ruin it and that the mystery of those things is what it was about yes but also the length of this game feels exactly right for what it is too oh absolutely agreed i wouldn't have wanted this to be much longer than it was yeah but it was it was great at this length so yeah i i really do highly recommend people check it out if you haven't um it is it's it's an excellent game i'm very pleased if you've in any way written it off because game about cat and not thinking there's going to be more to it it's yeah. it's more interesting than that might otherwise be in less skilled hands and if you were expecting it to just be cat you can just be cat you can just be cat try not to be too disappointed by the knowledge that there is more out there yeah. and and feel confident in the fact that it's actually pretty good yeah you know it's it's not like it's you know you're not getting what you wanted and it's bad yeah <laughs> like i'm not sure because there's this game's had a lot of praise like to the point yeah. where i believe it it's a metacritic or something topped god of war mm. or was it on steam i forget but but something it, it topped god of war in some critical thing where it's like the best rated game um of recent times I'm not sure it got me to the point where I'm like, this is one of the games of the year for me. This is awesome. Probably not. But I really liked it. I I don't think it had to be that. No. No, no, it doesn't have to be that. I'm just saying, like, a lot of people are saying that. I don't think I'd personally go that far. I certainly don't have any disagreement with anyone who would say it's the best game of the year or one of the best games they've ever played. Um, I can see this game being that for many people. Just personally not for me uh, but that's not to say i did not find it very enjoyable yes yeah, real good it's real good that one it's real good yeah yep uh what are you what have you been playing this week Steph? yeah uh have either of you played any of that multiverses no i have dipped my toes in it despite its terrible monetization out of just yeah i like fighting games enough that i want to know i wanted to know what its mechanics that felt like it's not it's not great. No, I dabbled enough to say I had, basically. It comes across... Like, some some people have disagreed. Yeah. Like, I have I did a Jimquisition this week about what I think is very dystopian uh, about multiverses. Uh, I think I made great points. But there were a lot of people who took umbrage with me saying that I found it very soulless and plastic. And, and it's got people who are big fans of the gameplay who are, have been very unhappy with me this week. So... Having played like a fair amount of it, like here is my bit. My big takeaway is it feels like Smash Brothers designed by a team that either doesn't know or doesn't care to balance characters in a way that prevents things like uh, infinite, infinite combos. And like that it is going to be entirely a personal preference thing, whether you like a Smash Brothers clone that 
has been released in a state where several characters can do like infinite unbreakable combos. Yeah, I think they recently introduced a patch to rebalance Taz in some way. Yeah, and it's been very much built for do you want to do ridiculous things that like if you're an experienced fighting game player you will be able to absolutely demolish new players that don't know what they're doing in a way that will make it not fun for them and hilarious for you if you're that kind of person. That's what it's balanced for. Yeah, It's balanced for you don't know how to break out of my infinite combo, and I'm getting joy out of schooling people who don't know how to break out of my, my, my setup. Yeah. Like, that's what it feels like it's built for. Deeply, deeply satisfying experience, it sounds like. For one person in the match, yes. <laughs> it's not for me. Uh, even if I were that person in the match, I don't know how satisfying I would find that. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I've... I've got issues with its very existence. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think in a culture that actually, like, wasn't... If, in a culture that made fucking sense to me, because the world of fandoms has just increasingly... Like, I've, I've lost touch with it. I'll admit that. But if it was still making sense, I believe firmly that the presence of Arya Stark in a game with Adventure Time characters and Looney Tunes characters in it should have been seen as the epitome of everything creatively wrong with the corporate-mandated meta-ing of pop culture. The sheer robbery of context, the sheer lack of care for the implications uh, and the narrative reasoning for any of this happening um and this goes you know it's been this creatively bankrupt going all the way back to like when warner brothers and disney first started like shoring up and consolidating their intellectual property and we were getting crossovers for crossovers sake cameos and references for no other reason than they simply could and, and uh, there is a level of frustration that i'm not seeing anyone else point it out that like for me Arya Stark in Multiverses epitomizes the vapidity of corporate um, media's obsession with meta and crossover. Here's how I kind of feel about this, because like I keep wanting to compare this to, I forget exactly what the name of it is, but there is a Cartoon Network crossover fighting game that is equally devoid of, like, there is no narrative reason for these characters to cross over other than they have a character called Uncle Grandpa who hops between dimensions and he's made them all be in one place. Like, that is equally devoid of narrative context, but at least there they are all properties that tonally fit and, like, are comparable in a way that doesn't have that level of yeah, wait a second, why have we put this person from the show full of rape and murder yeah. into the thing with the happy happy little robot show? And I think a big part of it is Multiverses does perfectly showcase the lack of original creativity that is now present in this corporate media that we keep getting. Warner Brothers didn't create most of what's in that game yeah. in terms of intellectual property. It's bought. Mm -hmm. This is Warner Brothers playing with its toys. This is Google. Yeah. Google made a search client and a passable email client. And everything else that is Google that you think of as being part of that parent company, they bought. They've not made anything else. And this is the same situation. Yeah. 
And like, I, I don't mind when Smash Brothers does this because they don't buy the companies to get the things in. Well, I was just about to say, like, most of what's in a Smash Brothers game is Nintendo's creations. And the third party stuff, unlike so much of modern mass marketed crossover, still feels special. Yeah. Because they're not like like the game isn't made up entirely of third party content that has just been thrown together without meaning. The presence of of third party characters in Smash is still special because it still means something. Yeah. And the thing I think about with that is every time they add a character to Smash, they stop and go, Hey, we asked this company very nicely if we could play with their toys. Here is all the care and attention we've done to try and not homogenize them into our our style necessarily but to show love to what this thing was in its source material. You know, and it's, that's a really valid point to bring up, that, you know, when you're dealing with a third-party license thing, you have to have a different sort of respect and input from the person who owns that license on some level, some sense of approval that sort of can prevent you from making these kinds of mistakes. Yeah, whereas Multiverses is very much like, we own it so we can do what we want. We don't need to think about where it came from. We just know we have it, so it's here. Yeah. And and of course, because of the way fandoms are being trained to only care about, oh, look, I recognise the thing. Like, no one who's into this is recognising how fucked up it is that Game of Thrones and Adventure Time are supposed to be, like, concurrent realities, like, supposed to have some sort of interaction. Well, and and this what this all reminds me of is what we had growing up, that sort of contextual dissonance uh, between products that were made and promoted for us and their origins as significantly inappropriate oh. content for kids. Yes, the Terminator 2 action figures age six and up. Aliens. For fuck's sake, yeah. Aliens was such a huge, huge toy thing. Those Kenner toys are amazing, though. They are amazing. They're so great. But at the same time, there was this dissonance between who these products were being marketed towards and the context of the source material. It's fucked up, yeah. A xenomorph action figure really isn't that far off of Arya Stark in, in multiverse. The one they thing are... I'll push back on there okay. is that they are separating. Yes, that's exactly yeah. it. The aliens action figures from, like, they had little packing comics with those figures sometimes, and they were not having graphic visuals of chestbursters. Like, the implication's there. And I've often joked myself about, like, inappropriate movies having toy lines. But the difference is, is that they're saying, they're not saying like, here are some like cute Game of Thrones figures just for kids. They're saying Arya fucking Stark from Game of Thrones is in a game in the same universe as Finn the Human. Yeah, it's not, it's not merely that, that they have, you know, because in the cases of those earlier, they were kept within the bounds of their own settings and and narrative yes there was gonna be a cartoon series called operation aliens and that's what those toys were supposed to be based off and it would be yes it would be taking an adult uh, oriented intellectual property but it would be an explicitly kid-friendly version right. of that separate from that and i still think there's some fucked up elements to that and Absolutely. ultimately we're still dealing with like corporations that don't care about context but i think it is significantly less fucked up yeah. than 
the actual Arya Stark being like in a game getting p- making pies, which if you've seen the show, <laughs> that's fucked up. She made pies out of people. And then she's doing it as a little funny joke and like taking faces yeah. as as a yeah. move in the game. Like <laughs> like I've had some people who are like, oh my god, you'll you'll doom and gloom and have an existential crisis about everything. And I'm like, mate, like, okay, you can look at me as making mountains out of molehills if you want. You know what? You're well within the right uh to do that. And you might think I'm b- being over the top here. But I think that if you've got a shred of respect for creative integrity, you should at least be questioning the sheer lack of creative integrity. The she- like you should at least look at this as a sign as to how lacking in respect a company like Warner Brothers has for the context and the original intention of the media it has bought packaging and pushing out in its product yeah to be clear this is not an argument of think of the children no you know fuck the kids yeah this is absolutely not a moral thing for me this is about art yeah i'm insulted i'm I'm intellectually insulted not morally insulted right if you want to put game of thrones characters in in a game for kids with kids characters i'm not gonna Demand it should be banned. Yeah, I'm going to question. <laughs> I just want people to think about it. Yeah. I just want people to think about the implications and to consider that maybe this is a sign that the sheer homogenization of our media might not be a good thing. Isn't it weird as fuck that this is so normal? And, and it, this comes back to the other point I made, that if everything is special, nothing is special. If everything's a crossover, nothing's a crossover. Eventually, we're going to get so fucking used to shit like this. Like, this is nothing but... And again, it's going to sound like a moral thing because I'm going to use the exact same argument some of those people make. I'm going to say the word desensitization, But I mean it differently. Because if you become desensitized, if you become numb to the idea of seeing characters cross over then yeah, the inherent specialness of this is going to mean nothing very soon because these companies have no chill and they are rushing to conglomerate as much of their media as possible so that nothing exists in its own universe. Nothing is a self-contained story. Nothing has meaning anymore because it's not about what a story means. It's about what characters can be packaged together, what toys, and some of this is, is decades old as a problem. Just what sells. Far be it for me to suggest that Ernest Klein, or Ernst Klein, whatever, who cares, that guy wrote a cautionary tale. God forbid, I don't want to say that he wrote a cautionary tale. However, I do think that Ready Player One is at the reading level of most of these executives. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that they read it, not understood it, but read it and said, yes, this is the future we want. Yeah. Well, I think we saw that with the film. Yeah. Like, it was about... It was a... It was very. I, I wish I'd remembered that one for the, the video, but it's... There is not much difference in the Ready Player One movie than uh, Space Jam, yeah. A New Legacy, where it was just about what can we cram in that people recognise and remember. And the bad guys want to own all of it. They yeah. just looked at the bad guys in Ready Player One. It's like, oh, that's us. 
Look, I, I hate to be the person that points this out because every fucking person points this out, but you can point it out for multiverses as well as Ready Player One. It's every time you see the Iron Giant shoved into something b b purely because it's cool to watch the big robot do punch completely devoid of any context of its source material. Like, the use of the Iron Giant in everything that's a crossover that it gets put in, it's like... Uh, oh yeah, yeah, people do... Yeah, it goes against the, the yeah, point of it. yeah. And like it happens time and time again, and uh, and this uh, is the kind of stuff that you're gonna have to get used to, folks. Like, yep. yeah, you're gonna have to get used to. Eventually, you are gonna care less about your media. I know it's all exciting right now. Oh, what if Bugs Bunny fought Batman though? But eventually, when the forbidden door is wide open and Anything can interact with anything, and eventually they're going to run out of properties they own, and then we'll start seeing Disney and Warner Brothers collaborate on this stuff. It'll, it'll probably happen if one doesn't eventually consume the other. Um, eventually they will come to agreements, and then when everything is on the table, the table will mean jack fucking shit. It'll mean nothing. We're already getting there. I think part of the reason why we have, like, why Phase 4 of the MCU is 50 hours of content is because not just the 50 hours is making things meaningless, I think the 50 hours exists because it's meaningless. They are now just throwing as much out there as possible because people are getting bored. People want trailers more than films, I think. They just want the dopamine hit of exciting thing I recognise. And to do that, they need to churn out more and more content. And it's all about getting the cheap pop, and that's it. And eventually that will you will get bored of even the cheap pops. And it's about volume. I mean, it's just, that's any person in business will tell you. When you have a hot property... You pump out the volume as fast as you can to exploit that audience while it's interested and rake in as much as you humanly can. Yeah. That's what's happening here. And eventually, as we've seen in the past, people get burnt out. Yep. And what they're doing right now is they are just shoveling anything they can together. Everything they have. Because they know time's running out. Well, yeah. So now everything's gotten meta, everything's gotten self-referential, everything's a cameo, everything's a crossover, and they are preparing to burn us out on everything they own. And I think people who give a damn about creative integrity and stories that mean something should be a little bit concerned with that. So what you're saying is you didn't enjoy multiverses. <laughs> Uh, not didn't care for it. Not gonna touch it. Not, it, not for you. Yeah, it's also an overly monetized piece of shit, and that's gonna get worse. It's got a battle pass because, of course, it fucking does. I said years ago, like we're gonna see nothing but battle passes shoveled in. The Cassandra speaks again. God, yeah. Fuck's sake. I hate all media and pop culture. I hate all culture now. That's what I've decided is my new thing. I just hate everyone and everything. <laughs> Okay, so what have what have I what have I been playing? Uh, I've got a nice like quick one to get out of the way. I've been playing more Xenoblade Three. I've been putting a bunch more time into that. I maintain what I said last week that like that game is very slow to get going. I fucking love it now. I'm I'm properly in. And again, I know that that's like the the oh I get it gets really good. X number of hours in is is a bullshit thing. But I cannot deny that I'm fucking loving this game for a JRPG. It is one of the more narratively interesting ones I've played in a long time, purely because it is 
coming from a perspective that I don't see a lot of JRPGs try and play with, and it's sticking to its conceit really well. Um, I talked a little bit last week about the fact that this game is basically from the perspective of a bunch of people trying to go, hey, maybe Endless War, where you're fighting each other, like, we've got to kill them because they killed a bunch of us and they think the exact same is bad and we should stop that. They have really done a lot of really interesting things with having your main perspective characters be people whose job during the war was to sit with respectfully carrying out people's funeral rites and sitting with the fact that war, even if you are taught it is necessary, is still a bloody, violent, horrible thing. Yeah. They have done some really neat stuff with that. I don't want to like get too much into spoilery thoughts on it because it's a like a very lengthy RPG that came out like a week ago. Um, but the thing that I, I want to give like one little example of the kind of thing I think this game has been doing really well. I recently found a location in game where there was a group of people who had very, very different beliefs on funeral practices to my main party of characters. I would probably describe the main party of characters as having somewhat of a religious view of, of people passing on to the next life. And I met a group of people whose practices were much more about the living. They were much more, this is a thing we do so the living can get closure, not to to help the, the dead move on. Yeah. And that wasn't viewed as a contradictory thing. The way that those two narratives ended up intertwining was, okay, what if we explore each other's beliefs on that and maybe try and find a way to do them both together as a as a big group and to see why those are beneficial to the other side and that you can believe different things and still respect other people's practices and see how they help you uh, help them even if they're not for you uh, i don't know about this funerals respecting other people's ideas sounds a bit wake to me oh god do you get it boo. do you get it oh, sorry. Boo. sorry don't you yeah. boo me why are you oh. booing me i'm right <laughs> but like like, that kind of, like, subtle little, like, tender moment, this game is full of a bunch of those. Like, there's a bunch of side quests that are just quiet little stories about different people's experiences of the world and trying to help them do the thing that helps them get through the day. And so many of the stories have been really interesting. Um, What, what I really like about the way that this game handles its side quest structure for a JRPG is that it doesn't overload you with a billion side quests all at once. Anytime you find a new a new town, new environment, you get maybe, I would say, three or four side quests that that town offers, and all of them feel somewhat tailored to the place that you've gone and the story that led up to you finding that town. You have side quests that feel tied into that little community, doesn't outstay its welcome once they've told the stories they want to tell with that Community, we're not going to give you any more side quests there because we've said everything interesting we want to. That has been really nice. Mechanically, I'm really enjoying it. It is it is a slow start, but I'm really digging this game. So, yeah. Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is the only game, the only other game I've got to talk about this week. Yeah. Um, I'm not very far into it yet. I've just reached the point where... Um, a baddie turned up and went, oi, oi, because of course he did. Ah, uh, yes. B yeah, big, brutish Englishman. I was overjoyed at that. I was overjoyed. It's Xenoblade. You've got to have a bit of... Uh, 
<laughs> but I do also want to talk about the fact that it is Xenoblade, which means it does have a lot of voice acting. And a lot of very British voice acting. A lot of that. British voice acting and a lot fewer lines than it has voice clips. Now, this is a problem with the series going all the way back, and it's a problem with other, like, specifically JRPGs, sometimes Western RPGs, uh, i.e. a bit of poison on my blade and let's go. But if I can't... The problem is, is because they're British voice actors with very overtly, uh, uh, almost exaggeratedly British uh, delivery, and because the lines are full sentences uh, rather than just, like a, like, one or two words... Hearing the same thing over and over, and I know this isn't a new complaint, but I especially became annoyed with it in this one, it's driving me up the fucking wall. So, it's entirely fair, and I don't blame you if that turns you off. I have seen some people who've had that same annoyance, who their solution has been, while I'm on the overworld doing fights, I will switch the uh, dialogue to Japanese, because the Japanese will feel less repetitive, and I'll switch it back to English for story stuff. Yeah, I might have to, because I it's not just that it's repetitive. Yeah. But a lot of these games that, that have repetitive dialogue like this, they fall into the trap of giving them, like, full sentences that you wouldn't repeat. So it makes no sense. Like, if I have to hear one more instance of, You hear that, Noah? Lance is looking for something a bit meatier. I'm like, I can't hear it again. So... You know what's you know what's fun. Um, in another example of a place where um people who are playing the game through less than illicit means might have a better experience, you can totally install mods for this game if you have it on an emulator or a hat switch that will turn off the uh the overworld shouts. Yeah, you can't have it after. <laughs> Sometimes it's after consecutive fights because there's so few lines to cycle through. So you'll have a fight, and then it's, you hear that, Noah? Lance is looking for something a bit meatier. And then you have another fight, and it's, you hear that, Noah? Lance is looking for something a bit meatier. I can't, I can't, I can't. Give Lance something meaty! So we'll shut up and she'll stop talking about it. Just bring on the meat! I can't handle it. Lance is looking for something a bit meatier! I cannot in any way criticise you there. I am loving this game with that caveat completely acknowledged. Why do they think it's good? Why do developers think it's good? That's what I don't get. Uh, At what point did they... Because it's a conscious choice with a lot... Like, with everything in a video game. Yeah. If, if a system is in it... Like, they had to record those lines. Then they had to make a decision for how many times those lines would repeat. They had to decide how many lines they'd record, how often they'd cycle. They had to make the decision that after every single fight, someone has to fucking run their mouth. Someone decided that every five minutes, sometimes every two, I have to hear, do you hear that, Lance? 100% this game should have had a toggle where you can go voice line frequency on Overworld, full... Partial none. You hear that, Noah? Lance is looking for something <laughs> a bit meatier. So, Comrade, how how have you... What have you been playing this week? Uh, the only other thing I've been playing this week is Vampire Survivors, which uh, I can confirm is the perfect thing to play while watching Alex Jones on trial. <laughs> I have, I, I'm at a point now, I think I... Yeah, I got... I'm current. I've, I have all the unlocks now. 
My my little Steam thing says I have all the achievements temporarily until the next update comes along and they add more shit. Uh, so I'm I'm now seeking out any secret characters I haven't unlocked yet and doing a lot of Bone Zone runs with Zia Sinta, which uh, I am really really enjoying now that I have enough shit to rock it. Like I put on the I get these Disco of Gold Arcana which is the one that uh, anytime you pick up a money bag, it starts a gold fever and money heals you. And since the Bone Zone only drops money, uh, it's working out real well. It's working out. I'm only pulling in 100,000 a run. And I think I can do better with another character that I just unlocked. So uh, having a lot of fun with it still continues to be a perfectly good way to absentmindedly burn a half an hour while listening to something else great game still having fun with oh did i mention that i started playing this on uh my phone through steam link no yeah how has that been it plays very well on the steam link uh app through your phone i mean i imagine it would because you're not really having to do anything other than position yourself so it's not a game where twitch accuracy is super important and latency's gonna bother you. No, it's it's great. I've been sitting on the couch watching the rehearsal, uh, the new Nathan Fielder show, which I am not convinced any of it is is legitimate, by the way. Just I, that's I'm just mm. saying it now. I don't think any of it's real. I think it's all bullshit. But uh, yeah, I can sit on the couch, one, you know, finger on the uh phone to do the little faux analog thing. I I actually really like that Steam Link app. Have you used it at all? I've I've used it a I've used it a reasonable bit a lot less now that I have the Steam Deck. Oh, obviously, I used it a, for a while. Like, um, I had one of those things where you can use a controller and clip your sure. phone just above the controller. As tacky as they are, I found it kind of nice for some games. It did the trick. I'm I'm tempted to. I have not bothered trying to connect a Bluetooth controller to my phone to yeah you know use a controller that way. I I'm sure I could do that. I haven't yeah. yeah. I don't need to because if I'm if I'm going to play a game that requires a control, I'd rather play it on a larger display anyway. But in terms of how that app functions, uh, where the on-screen controls can all be positioned exactly to your liking with the overlay, it retains the settings. It's not bad. Yeah. It is the best I could have hoped for, I think, in terms of usability on that platform for these features. In-home streaming apps are getting better. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm happy with that. I was a little bit annoyed to discover that the Samsung TV, smart TV I have has a Steam Link app for it. <laughs> so now I'm wondering why I even bother to have that Steam Link device sitting underneath the TV, but it's there. So uh, that is a very recent development. Like that that Samsung TV app, I think, was like a month ago at most. Oh, okay. It's a very recent thing. I'm not going to use it because then I have to like hook up a hub to my yeah. TV and I'm not going to do that. I've already got a HDMI cable running to it for this. So yeah. But yeah, yeah, really like that Steam app and Vampire Survivors continues to be a lovely passive joy. Uh, you play anything else, Laura? Sorry, just quickly, mm-hmm. just quickly. I would like to say that I was obviously planning 
to uh, yell. You hear that Noah Lance is promising something a bit meatier. Um, That was obvious. We were all waiting for it. Um, But I left it more than a minute and a half. (laughs) Uh, and then it, I realised it wouldn't have been an accurate enough portrayal, so I'm leaving it. Mm. Well, no, it could have been an accurate portrayal if you ran around a field to pick up pickups for a bit and then you got near a battle again. It would not have represented how often I've had to fucking hear it. <laughs> yeah, other other things I've been playing. I started playing Frogun. Frogun? Frogun. It's the words frog and gun smushed together. Okay. This is a PS1 aesthetic, um, or like, it's clearly trying to be inspired by PS1 aesthetic type things. Game where you are platforming and you have a gun, but the gun is a frog and it makes the frog's tongue stick out. I love it. And that can be used to grab things, to spit things out, to cross gaps as a platforming tool. And you go around like little toy box environment levels that are fairly contained Try and get all of the collectibles and get to the end of the level. There is a speedrun timer, there is a timer going because they clearly want this to be a game that people speedrun, and I get that because the tongue mechanic is kind of cool for zipping around levels if you really want to practice it. Aesthetically, this game is charming as all hell. I enjoy it conceptually. The problem I have with it is that it is a game that is unforgiving in a way that I am not enjoying. Mainly because, like, I feel like this game needs, like, 30% more checkpointing than it has. Because levels will have checkpoints, but if you fail to make a jump, which is kind of easy to do because a lot of platforms are exactly the size of your character and no bigger, if you fail to make a jump, you get thrown back to the last checkpoint with none of the collectibles you picked up still intact. And checkpoints are placed just far enough apart that... You might get like four minutes into collecting every pickup on the way to the checkpoint you're trying to get to, and you fail the last jump, and oops, I have four minutes of progress to redo. And that doesn't gel for me. Just a few too many times I've missed one jump and felt like I have had a disproportionate amount of progress taken away from me in a way that's like, it feels like the game doesn't want me to progress. And that feels at odds with the very charming child fr- childish aesthetic mm. in a way that, like, the game is presenting itself as one thing that I'm like, yes, when it feels like this, it's gr- Oh, I missed one jump and I've lost five minutes of my time. Okay, okay. I want to like it more than I do, and I think if you are a more talented person at playing video games, I think this is going to be really fun. It's not for me, and that's a shame. Other than that, I've just been playing more Live Alive, Live, live Live, Live Evil. Continue to really like that game. I've got one of the individual stories left to do before whatever comes after that. And again, um, I maintain what you were saying last week, Steph, about the uh, the, the samurai shinobi era. Ugh. That is the one I cannot stand. Still not picked it up since then. It put me so off. Mechanically, that is the only one I don't get on with. All the rest, I think, are real good. And if I, I would say go back to it and just don't come to that one until you have to. Uh, either of you played anything else this week? No, that's it for me. Well, in that case, should we do some, some news? Get a bit of news out, out of the way? Let's do that. So, not not much to say about this one, but we, we all liked uh, Disco Elysium here. That, yeah. was a, that was a good good video game. Um, 
We have a little bit of a hint of what they're working on next. We know that they've been working on something else for a while. Some job listings at the studio that, that made that have gone up, and it's just, it, it, there are some little hints as to what the themes might be. They're apparently looking for artists with a love of sci-fi specifically, uh, and the ability to create non-Earth environments. If you remember, there are some, there are some, there are some hints in Disco Elysium that suggested they might want to do some storytelling that wasn't Earth-based grounded, so... Yeah, not not much more to say than that, other than whatever it is they're working on, it probably ain't gonna be another one, another thing set in that same Earth-based, relatively grounded environment. I'm intrigued to see what they do. Take as much fucking time as you need. You're very good at making games. We got a story about Xbox, uh... Apparently, Xbox encouraged the console wars to drive competition, a former executive says. I know, so surprising, no one could have seen this coming. You mean corporations have been stoking animosity between fandoms for money? Corporations recognise that tribalism is financially profitable, you say? These are the same corporations that stayed really quiet during uh, mass harassment campaigns in gaming communities, right? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah! Yeah! Okay. Okay, so they fermented this sense of, of angry tribalism and then just left it. But but they didn't do it to create division, don't get me wrong. Oh. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. So this is a former Xbox executive, Peter Moore. You remember Peter Moore, right? I remember him with his little Cheshire Cat smile. And his tattoos. Yeah. Remember Peter used to get tattoos yeah. for all the companies that he worked for? Aw, he was one of us. He was so hip and cool. Yeah. Uh yeah, so so here's the here's the quote that he gave speaking on the front office sports podcast. We encouraged the console wars not to create division, but to challenge each other. And when I say each other, I mean Microsoft and Sony didn't fucking give a shit about Nintendo apparently. It was just it was to challenge each other, not not to not to make a divided tribalistic audience. No. Okay, but the result was that you made a tribalistic audience. So what I am hearing is that Microsoft is accepting responsibility for all of the harassment and death threats and everything that has come out of this form of tribal. That's what I'm hearing. I'm saying, I'm hearing them say, we made this happen. Yeah. It's their fault that that commenter on Destructoid that time called me fat tits over a review (laughs) score. I mean, the joke's on him. That's now a compliment. But it's it's Peter Moore's fault. Yeah. So so the context for this is apparently it was a direct response to the Red Ring of Death stuff going on and this uh, reputation that Xbox was was developing for you shouldn't buy an Xbox, they'll fucking overheat and die. Hmm. Moore's res- argument is uh, if we hadn't stuck the course after the Xbox, after the Red Rings of Death, uh, and by st- stuck the course, he's here meaning stoked the tribalism of the console wars, gaming would be a poorer place for it. You wouldn't have the competition you have today. If we hadn't, you know, responded to our b- product catching fire and breaking down and not being well built, if we hadn't responded to that by stoking tribalism, the industry would be worse for it. I also want to point out that when executives, aka capitalists, talk about how competition turned out good in the end because it meant you got good stuff. It's a tacit admission that corporations, when they don't have competition, have no incentive to provide good products and don't. Right. That's what he's saying. 
He's saying competition is good because it led to you getting good stuff. What he's saying is, unless we're under threat, we will serve you garbage. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, so we got we got a couple of other stories. Um, there's one that I just want to pick up because it's it's a personal point of infuriation. Good news. Resident Evil Village is getting a free accessibility update that's coming in October. It's adding some much-needed features to the game. This is good. Uh, the game's getting uh, options to tweak subtitle size, colour, background toggles, speaker names in subtitles, closed captions. All of that's very good. One of the things in this, uh, this, this uh, accessibility update is the option to add a permanent reticle to the centre of the screen, <sighs> which is a, a wonderful setting because it helps... Uh, for motion sickness yes. prone players It's one thing that helps a little bit To lessen motion sickness Here's why I'm fucking annoyed about this story You know what's coming out on the same day as that Oh no A paid DLC for the game That includes a third person mode A really fucking useful feature For motion sickness prone players Who struggle playing that game in third person And that's not in the free accessibility update It is locked behind a paid piece of DLC Bundled in with story content That's That's and like that annoys me particularly because of this permanent reticle being in the free update because to me that says capcom recognizes that motion sickness is an issue for this game it's one that is an accessibility issue that should be addressed and they recognize that like accessibility stuff that helps people who are prone to motion sickness should be part of this free update and yet they are still selling third person mode as part of paid dlc and like third person mode it makes such a bigger difference for motion sickness than a permanent center screen reticle i know people are going to disagree with me on this but it's it's annoying me and i wanted to bring this story up just because it's kind of fucking infuriating me at the moment yeah i could see why that's that's frustrating yeah so i'm going to keep grumbling about that until someone listens cuz it's fucking annoying it's yeah so other than that, hey, remember Ubisoft? We haven't talked about them in a little bit. Uh, hmm, refresh my memory. This is the company that spent years uh, protecting abusers of every single kind and still haven't, like, adequately answered how much their CEO knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, about that. So you remember the, the hashtag a better Ubisoft that started going around a while ago? Sounds familiar. I do. It was pushing for a better Ubisoft. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was that was a year ago. That was a little over a year ago now that that started. And a year later, a better Ubisoft says that none of its demands have been met. So nothing's changed. Yeah, so this was an open letter that was... Uh, Written largely, it was in solidarity with Activision Blizzard workers who were currently unionising, but part of the letter also called out Ubisoft's own management for their lack of handling of all the misconduct scandals. Let me find some of the quotes in here. Um, the group says its demands for change have not been met despite Ubisoft boss Yves Guillemot vowing that he would do everything in his power to ensure that everyone feels welcomed, respected and safe. Uh, in a Twitter thread, the group has revealed that 25% of those who signed its uh, open letter 12 months ago uh, have since left the company because they, they were not being supported. 60% of those that quit use he, him pronouns, while 39% use she, her, and 1% use they, them. I bet Ubisoft states that this now means that women represent only 25.4% of Ubisoft's global workforce. Disproportionately, a bunch of women are leaving the company because they signed this open letter going, we need things to change or we will leave, and nothing changed, and so they're leaving. Especially with, with like, if we wrote representation 
uh, and diversity, which, you know, companies keep touting as signs that they're doing better. If if we do talk about that yeah. um, in, in as a reflection of how Ubisoft is doing, a year on from being asked to do better and promising to do better, Ubisoft is actually doing worse. Yeah, their, their level of diversity within the company is lessening over time. Remarkable. That is what's happening because th- the people they had from minority groups are leaving because nothing got fixed when they demanded things get fixed. Now, remember what I said earlier about how if corporations aren't under threat, they don't change and don't do better and don't offer better. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. They're just, just thinking about it. Well, and the other side of the, now this is going to create a real, because how are they going to attract more diverse candidates now that all of this continues to go on? It's only going to get worse for them. Yeah. I'd certainly warn anyone thinking of working at Ubisoft to stay the fuck away. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, a reminder that key demands... Stop promoting and moving known offenders from studio to studio, team to team, without repercussions. Um, They want a collective seat at the table to have a meaningful say in how the company moves forward. Uh, Cross-industry collaboration to agree on a set of ground rules and standards and practices that all studios can use to handle these kind of offences in future. And that collaboration must heavily involve employees in non-management positions and union representatives. None of that has changed in a year, so... Good luck to a better Ubisoft. I'm sorry that people largely seem to have stopped paying attention and giving a shit. Uh, On a story of maybe things are getting better in some historically bad companies within the industry, there has been a report by Bloomberg largely centering on stuff about Grand Theft Auto 6 happening in the near future. But one of the things that this report sort of centers on is changes within Rockstar as a company since their big public reckoning with... um, abusive levels of crunch back in 2018. Oh, I was going to say, which one? I'm glad you said the year. Yeah, so... (laughs) So, yeah, back in 2018, there was a particular, like, bunch of stories about, like, people working 100-plus-hour weeks to finish Red Dead 2, frat house-style attitude at the company. Apparently, in the years that have followed that, there have been changes to, you know, the way the company is run um, that have have lessened some of the frat house-style nature and have addressed crunch in a way that has made working there less of a hellhole as it was at the time. It's unclear exact whether it is good there now, but apparently things have been trending in the right direction. Levels of satisfaction of not feeling like everyone is being bigoted and forcing you to work a billion hours, that's improving. So that's good. That is po- it's as good it's moving in the right direction. I'd rather hear that than the opposite. Mm. It's better than Ubisoft, which is... A fucking low bar, I guess, but... What bar? Where's that bar? I can't see it. Start digging. Where is that fucking bar? We've got a nice little bit of positive news. Um, Like it or not, the fact that The Last of Us, the original Last of Us, is getting a remake in September, one real neat bit of information is that um, alongside all the other accessibility stuff from The Last of Us 2 coming to this, this remake of part one... Uh, including a bunch of settings that allow that game to be playable by completely sightless blind players. One of the biggest problems with The Last of Us 2 was that sightless blind players could play through the game mechanically start to finish. Cutscenes usually gave no fucking context for anything that wasn't spoken dialogue. This remake of The Last of Us Part 1 is adding audio descriptions for every cutscene. That is pretty fucking cool, actually. That is a that is a pretty fucking big deal. Like, the, the, there has never been a AAA video game that has 
done proper audio descriptions for cutscenes, probably because very few other video games are playable for completely sightless players. But like, yeah, this is a really fucking big deal. It means that sightless players will not only be able to play through the game, but have proper context for the non-verbal things happening in cutscenes to follow the narrative. Good fucking going them. I'm sure some dickheads will call it woke because, like, literally, people will. I've seen yeah. accessibility stuff like, like roped under that, and it's pathetic. But, like, this is great and hurts no one. Yeah, yeah, like, where's the harm? Are, like, the... Are you going to say, well, they should have spent that resources making another game or a better... Like, the fuck? Yeah. They're audio descriptions. It's a, a few hours of additional recording. Yeah, I pointed this out when The Last of Us 2 came out. I made a whole video about it going, this is the one thing I would really like to see if they ever do this again, is add them in. It takes no fucking time to do. It is a really simple thing to do. And I'm so glad that they're just doing the thing. Yep. And like, even if like... It's not it's not perfect. There is still room for like the next step from this eventually will be audio descriptions for gameplay moments. Finding a way to have in-game triggers that will trigger audio descriptions of what is going on around you at points while playing. Like there is still room to go, but this is a huge step forward mm -hmm. and it reminds me of like for all my problems with it, Forza Horizon 5 trying to add a, Brit a British and American sign language interpreters, like it's really exciting seeing companies try and make those steps, and I, I will always give credit where it's due for trying to make those steps. And the last, last thing this week, and this is not a particularly surprising story, Sony, not particularly excited about Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard. That's, uh, how strange. Can't imagine. How, how strange, right? Yeah, so we know about this because of a Brazilian government, a Brazilian government filing so in Brazil, companies within the same like industry are sometimes asked to give their thoughts on big mergers that will have like these kind of implications for antitrust purposes and such. I assume, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, what is your opinion on this fellow company potentially, you know, monopolizing a little bit? And Brazil does post these online with some redacted passages, which means we've got some insight into officially what Sony's stance on this. And largely, like, they... Unsurprisingly, they're not super a big fan of this. Um, there is a, a translation uh, floating around on Reset Era uh, that was translated by Eurogamer Portugal uh, that I'm reading some stuff from here. So Sony argues that Call of Duty is a franchise with no rival, which, I mean, it's been on the decline for the last few years, but I get the argument. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the way Sony puts it is, Call of Duty games, long-running franchises with big budgets, multi-year development cycles, fanatical followings, uh, and despite big budgets and resources, no other developer has managed to create a franchise to rival Activision's Call of Duty, which stands out as a category in itself. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. And Sony seems to be really lasered in on a franchise of that scope becoming exclusive to one platform holder. They don't like the precedent that sets. Other than that, Sony says that, like, Call of Duty is so popular that it influences users' choice of console, and its network of loyal users is so ingrained that even if a competitor had the budget to develop a similar product, it wouldn't be able to rival it. Yep. 
That's that's accurate. Yeah, they're like, hey, people are so sold on Call of Duty, they will buy Xboxes, and even if we make a game just as good, it it won't be Call of Duty. I mean, they're not wrong. Yep. They're not wrong. Yeah. I, I do think it's funny that, like, these companies are fine with de facto monopolies when it's them. Yeah, well, as long as they could pro- or as long as they could profit in some way from access to that sort of dominance. Yeah. Which is what they're talking about here, is that they're afraid of losing access to a, the dominant product. And they should be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll read one more quote that I think like really sums up the argument they're trying to make. Call of Duty has been the top-selling game for nearly every year over the past decade, and for its genre, it's overwhelmingly the best-selling game. It's synonymous with first-person shooters and essentially defines the category. And I don't disagree with their ass- assessment, but I also think that, you know, they they wouldn't be saying this if they were buying it. <laughs> so yeah, none of that is surprising, but it's interesting to get a, a bit of an insight on the official company line on that stuff. Yep. Oh, I forgot we have one last story. One last one. We got Diablo Immortal news. Oh, We've got yeah. got a fun little story to end on. Fucking hell. So there's a Diablo Immortal player who spent $100,000 approximately on upgrading his character in-game, playing it on stream. Money well spent. And he's he's hit a p- bit of a problem. Hmm. He's spent so much money on this game and leveled his character up so much, he physically cannot matchmake with anyone to play, and he can't play the game anymore because oh, there's no, no one. There's no one. He's so far beyond anyone else in the matchmaking rankings, it doesn't know where to put him. Talk about a whale. It's a big fish in a small pond. Yeah. When you pay to win so hard, you can't even play to win. Yeah, yeah. So the story did eventually, a couple of days later, get a response from Blizzard, who were like, um, we're working on a on a fix, it'll come in the next few days. So, like, I don't know what their fix is going to be other than matchmaking him with people who he will absolutely decimate. Oh, well, no, th- their fix is going to be convince people to spend more money so that they can reach his level. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking wild. So, yeah, yeah, no, someone literally spent enough money that that game broke and he couldn't play it anymore because he spent too much. I love that. I love that so much. Like, I, you know, I've used the, the, the term excessive monetization a lot over the years because, you know... I mean, most video game monetization is excessive, but I love that Blizzard has provided literally excessive monetization, like mechanically excessive. (laughs) Yeah. They exceeded their own greed. They've created an economy where you can spend so much, you destroy the game. (gasps) And some people try to tell me that these companies aren't greedy. Amazing. (sighs) So yeah... Yeah, that's that's everything this week. That's that's the news. That's we did it. We did it. We did it. What else have you done, Laura? Just what else have you done? What else have I done? Well, the main thing what I done is I got a book. It's coming out on the eighteenth of this month. Me and my dysphoria monster. It's an illustrated children's book. It's like it's gonna be out. I think two weeks after this episode goes up. So like, hey, go go pay that some attention. I'm real proud of it. Go check it out. Other than that, Laura K Bar's pretty much everywhere. Patreon's the thing that keeps the, the lights on. As little as a dollar a month really fucking helps. And go go watch Accessibility. It's a show about accessibility in the games industry. Go give it a watch over on YouTube at Laura K. Buzz. What about you, Conrad? Where are you? Uh, what will you do? I am at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow my cat, Potato Wand, who is an adorable little scamp at uh, Instagram.com slash one-eyed potato. 
You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com or audiobooks at conradreads.com or just hang out with me on stream at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. Uh, and everything I do gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Who? James Stephanie Sterling. Wait, what? Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. I too have heard this, and I've heard that you can find that Patreon at patreon.com slash jimquisition. Uh, I also live stream every Mondays, Wednesdays, and sometimes other times in between at twitch.tv slash jimsterling. Uh, my next wrestling appearance is this Saturday, August 6th, in Leicester at the Y Theatre. I will be debuting, so my Midlands debut, and I will also be debuting for a company I've wanted to work with for quite some time, Resurgence Wrestling. I am an entrant in the Resurgence Rumble for the Resurgence Championship, uh, I very much look forward to making Leicester rejoice. Uh, my next day after that will be August 20th. I have a date in Preston during the day and Newcastle that evening at the Jubilee Club. Um, that's August 20th. I will be the Director of Ceremonies for Avant Garde Wrestling. And then October, might as well do them all. October 1st uh, will be a uh, an appearance in Manchester for Sovereign Pro Wrestling. That's an eight-person elimination match that features Kid Bandit and Simon Miller. And then I will be in Blackpool on October 8th, where I will be facing Simon Miller one-on-one. -on -one. It is going to be a huge fucking match. And that's about it for all of those dates. I'm going to... I should be soon able to give you really exciting news about September. Uh, but until then, we will almost certainly see you next week. I very much hope to see you there. Thank you so much for listening and supporting, and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.